Take a look, if you will, as a starter, a prelude for today's teaching. Zip over to Joel, considered one of the smaller books right in back of Hosea. And I would like you to focus in the second chapter on chapter 25, because I do believe that this is paralleled with where we will be at, and I think it's a promise for you. So Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, goes like this. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. What we do know is that this time represented in scriptures and that had adversity assigned to the people of God was the, if you would, means by which the attention was collectively, clearly surrendered from their selfishness to the one by whom they were to serve and sacrificially worship. And what we see is that God was giving to them in the conclusion of this, what we would say, despairing situation, a promise, a relief. Hence the title of today's teaching, Morning After the Morning, is Glory. The plan words or the homonyms are two different definitions. One is the day after the evening, the breakthrough of darkness with the morning light. The other one is simply the emotion that collectively can find itself reserved within us, that also has to have a breakthrough from us. Usually that's in the forms of tears that well up, swell up the eyes, are eventually released as a dam that breaks and we have tear stains on our cheeks and we're cleansed though from that opportunity to be released of tension and the things that may be indeed what God has always wanted, which is attention. There's tension, and God uses that to get our attention. And so this is one of those things that we can say for us represents both a promise, even in what was the crises. So that's for you to hang on to. I think it is for you. I like everything it says. But it's not going to change the fact that I'm not going to eat from any of you a grasshopper that's dipped in chocolate and that's crunchy. Okay? Those things were meant to do an entirely different thing. I'm not after them. Okay, returning back to our text right now.
Seven was last week. This is eight. Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. This woman has had an interesting experience with Elisha. She was one whose heart had turned to the Lord and had desired to be a blessing for Elisha in his prophetic ministry. He was an itinerant preacher, but specifically his gifting was prophetic. He had with certainty taken over the ministry of Elijah. He was one who was indeed well-respected, and I might even say feared in the best description, a man who as a holy person, one who indeed would speak and the word of the Lord came to pass, he is that man by which favor from God, whom he served through this woman, whom she was completely at the Lord's disposal and trusting in the Lord for what this man's needs were. You remember that she made a place for him. And in the time that she was there, she experienced blessings. And in the course of both being blessed, she came into a situation in which she was distressed in that she awakened to find that her son that was ill died. She blamed Elisha for it or at least was not able to have comfort regarding why he was there and this has happened to her. But Elisha did exactly what we see much later on Jesus do. Just raised her boy from the dead to life, gave him back to her. This same woman right now is confronted with a word that is a hard word, and that is, things got better. You got your son back. But the home right now is something that you're leaving. She's listening to him. He's very clear that this is going to be a seven-year period. Now, for some of us, we probably have said, man, I can count seven years. And I've been through a lot of distress. I've been through great tension. And it has at times gotten the better of me. And the movement in which I have become transitory, itinerant, without pillow, I'm tired of it. Now, I appreciate any of that sentiment from any of you because I've been displaced, it seems like, since 2010. Chris and I celebrated our 28th year yesterday of marriage, and we've done a lot of traveling in our marriage, just moving here, moving there, batted around like a tennis ball. And I don't even play tennis, don't even understand it. It's tiring, wearying. 
But I know that everything that we've done has been both in faith and it's been trusting God ultimately for the outcome. Here's where this is going. The woman right now is exercising obedience. She's basically clued in on how long this situation is going to last. The directive that she receives from Elisha regarding this famine that's going to last seven years, verse 2 says, So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. This can have both the present tense application as well historically. As again, I've said, we can count seven years. Somewhere in our life, seven years means something to us. In the scriptures, it may indeed reflect, and I think accurateness, perfection, perfect. The situation you're in is not perfect, but the outcome in the season will be perfection. It's going to be okay. What it is, is what it will not be. What it once was is going to be altogether something that deeply in your heart you will know is from me, that deeply in your heart you've yearned for. It's a long time. There's history at this house. There's miracles at that house. And she's now packing it all up. As she does so, she moves to a land that's not per se her land. In fact, one would say, contrary territory. I don't know these people. I've heard about these people. History has recorded what these people do, and they're not necessarily friendly to God's people. But what it says is that God is protecting her in obedience not separate from obedience, but in obedience. There's protection that's going to be given her that's exclusive. Elisha is a type right now, literally, of Jesus, who is a protector and a shepherd of us. His intended goal is always to bring us to the place in which he's always said, that's where I'm going to bless you because I have blessed you. You saw me there, you followed me there, and I'm taking you back there. Now, I could say, oh, man, does that mean I got to go back to the Baja, Mexico again? I'm so through with beans and rice. But I'm not with tacos and burritos. You figure that out. Lord, does it mean that now my call is in India? I don't like that place. I've never been there. I'm just giving an excuse. What I'm saying is all of us have an itinerancy. We, we are to be in the potential of movement, the coming and going. But we're also to be confident in the assurance that God knows what he's doing with us. And it's his privilege and his sovereignty to guide and direct and to hear us say, you will protect. You're guiding and directing and you are also the one who is protecting. I can go on that. I can obey that. She comes to this land. The years right now will be marked. How will they be marked? It's kind of silent. We don't know. We're not hearing anything. 
with regard to her journaling. What we hear is that it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. What happened? Well, the king, this guy, who is notably the one who has been in, if you would, contrast and conflict with Elisha, basically owns it now. She doesn't go to Elisha immediately for the appeal. What it seems to suggest right now is that God's going to do something through this guy that's actually quite despicable. Well, she's not despicable. Elisha's not despicable. This king was despicable. Not a good pedigree. Had some real challenges in governing. Was not one that you would say would listen to me. But this king, who now basically has the title to this house, she makes an appeal to. And notice what happens in the characters that are brought up. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Why? And Gehazi, I've heard of him. He was several chapters back. He was a personal servant minister to Elisha when he got derailed. He did not exercise prudence in godly behavior. He went in the pursuit of something that was not his. The punishment for him was leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin. He wasn't going to be serving Elisha anymore. He was wiped seemingly off the pages of Scripture. But here he is. And he's being sought after as a counselor. He could have said, yeah, Elisha, that double-crosser. I just did one thing to just make my life a little easier, and he kicked me out sent me away. But what we see is in the time that he was dismissed, God had done a work in his heart and in his life. The only thing to be able to deduce right now is Gehazi is not the same man. Gehazi is not the same man, and this guy is not that guy who was the guy that was really not good, and now he's different. That king, this guy, is not that guy. He's different now. Gehazi, that guy, that leprous, unfaithful servant, is now being used as a counselor for God to this woman who has the necessity of being spoken for. And what she is going to have is an advantage of Gehazi speaking about God through Elisha, who has been up to this point despised. Really important to know that God is at work validating both who you are, but validating whom you cannot believe would be worthy of God's anointing. 
really important to know that God's validating you even as he has validated the very individuals that you would say, despicable, unworthy. I can't believe that God would work through that guy and that guy to do something for me, this person. Redemption's a funny thing that actually should provoke the laughter of belief, of joy, rather than disdain and maniacal doubt. Gehazi is so right in what he's saying. It happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. What you've heard about Elisha and the things that you've believed about him are in contradiction. He's everything that we know to be true about God and how he has dealt with us as men. We deserved what we got, but God has been faithful to not give us what we deserve. We've been graciously treated. The man is true in what he says and what he's done, and the witnesses are right before us, a woman and her son. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. The years that the locusts have eaten, God restores. The morning after the morning is glory. The song that was sung, I believe God was simply inflecting because there are people who hear through spiritual melody and lyrics what perhaps their hearts are hard to embrace and open up for, even in the power of scripture. The song touches the heart that then can be touched by the word. I had actually in it a challenge to be able to sing it because I remember the first day that I heard it. And I heard it when I was hurting and doubting. And it melted me. It's become a favorite. I'd play it every day. But the Lord commanded me to play it today with a band that was clueless about what it is. We, were gonna, we weren't even sure what key it was in. We were behind the scenes trusting the Lord for the scenery that he would give to the hearts of those who have ears to hear. Now, I do want to let you know this is pretty good. It's about 12 o'clock. This has just been slightly under 20-minute devotion there's a good chance you're going to get lunch hot. <laughs> and I'm actually going to close here 
The Lord really wants us to hear his heart with regard to the times and seasons that have been hard. Hard seasons do things such as tenderize the heart if we're willing to accept it. It's just a season. It's only a season. It's pain for a moment where God is saying, I'm going to prosper you, though, in the eternal. And the eternal does not mean that you will not be blessed with great relief in the temporal. The decision has to be made, though. Am I going to keep something, if you would, against someone who can be indeed indicted for everything that we've known them to do, man or woman, for what God in a sovereign moment says, I've changed him. That king, he's not the same. I've made him different in the moment that will satisfy your need. He's got authority, but he doesn't have authority over me. And he's not the same man. That man is not the same man. That guy is not the same guy. He's different because he's heard the word from one perhaps equal to him or worse. Words of truth. A Gehazi that was a leper. What happened? Was he healed from his leprosy? My belief is that there is hidden in this text the fact that God worked a healing in Gehazi to be in the presence of a king and suitable seemingly for counsel. It wasn't, hey, bring that smelly guy up from the dungeon. You know, the guy that was working with Elisha. I want to just hear his mind a little bit and then we'll throw him back down there. It would appear as though he was elevated, brought up from condemnation. And he was able to speak the convicting word of God is good. And that man is right. And I'm actually standing with a guy that's pretty despicable. But so was I. I stunk. I was dying. I offended my master. And I'm telling you about God. He's true. And I wasn't. He's right. I was wrong. But things are different. I'm not that man. And in this moment, King, you're not that man, but Elisha is the man. Jesus is the man. And we need to hear that. Let me share this with you. At times, I will go back into the archives of my music history. And though this is a secular song, it was a popular song. It blasted on the charts because it resonated in the hearts of lovers. It was from a film, which is not necessarily something you'd go, well, I got to watch it because it's a tragic film. And if you ever want to go on a cruise, you don't want to necessarily watch that film. It's from the Poseidon Adventure. A cruise ship that was twice the span of Two Queen Elizabeths, modern day ones, probably would rival what we would say the Disney liners are today. I've been on several cruises. I would not want to be in what this was, which was a tidal wave. Poseidon Adventure was a tidal wave that caught the 
captain off guard and the entire ship and only 10 survived. So this was a love song. There's got to be a morning after. If we can hold on through the night, we have a chance to find the sunshine. Let's keep on looking for the light. It does sound spiritual, doesn't it? And don't you know that God can work through even secular songs to bring a spiritual truth to light? Oh, can't you see the morning after? It's waiting right outside the storm. Why don't we cross the bridge together? Find a place that's safe and warm. It's poetry. Let me continue. It's not too late. We should be giving. Only with love can we climb. It's not too late. Not while we're living. Let's put our hands out in time. There's got to be a morning after. We're moving closer to the shore. I know we'll be there by tomorrow. And we'll escape the darkness. We won't be searching anymore. There's got to be a morning after. 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 There is a morning after. So the things that are preparatory in terms of a sermon at times have reaches in other areas that perhaps for you may help to give you some encouragement. This wasn't about the movie. I simply shared with you where it came from. But there are storms in life and the very things that we wouldn't have expected, it came upon us like a tidal wave on a ship that seemingly was destined to go strong and make it to a place of great promise. And you're just a survivor. But there's a song that God gives you for he sings songs over us. And we're not simply to be survivors without an outcome that brings glory to God. Mourning after the morning is glory, but you have to choose. Can God change a personality that reflected the worst to one who has authority and has become different? A Gehazi who was dismissed, but who then finds himself, it appears, restored of sound mind, good counsel, able to sing positive things about the Lord. That's the heart that God has. That's what Jesus does in my life. He's done it in your life. I appreciate the fan. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> We're going to pray. Lord, we ask for your blessings. Thank you for the word, how it applies with everything that's been said. I see a flaming cross and which, which was tacked on it, which were the confessions of the young, became ash. No condemnation, no indictment.
forgiveness, mercy, grace. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen.